Amen. You know, the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. Now, tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a day of remembrance. A day when we remember those who have, who have died in service of their country. I love that because it's a, a national holiday. It's a time when we can, a built-in time, if you will, that we can remember uh, those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And I, I, I say a day of remembrance. Because as we celebrate that day, it's not just a holiday. It's not just a day off. It's not just a, a day when we get together with family and friends. It's a day when we remember those who have given their lives so that we can do what we're doing right here today. It's an amazing country we live in. The greatest nation in all of the world these United States of America. You know, P.G. Woodhouse, he, he told a story about a member of British Parliament that was, uh, he was standing in the lobby waiting and there was an older gentleman came up to him and, and uh, he was distinguished looking and he, he begged for just a moment of his attention, this uh, uh, member of Parliament. And, and This man told him, he said, by hard work and thrift, he had amassed a fortune. And he said, in these latter years, his his family had kind of taken over his his, uh, fortune. And and basically, not content with that, they decided to put him in a, a mental home. And this particular day that he was there was his day out. And he, he expressed great gratitude to the, the member of parliament. And he said, you know, I've put all of these facts down in this document. And I want you to study it. And I want you to uh, communicate with me at your leisure. He said, thank you, sir. Thank you and good day. And um, much moved by the man's courtesy, the member of parliament, he, he took the paper, he shook his hands, and he promised that he would do everything in his power to, to rectify this situation. And then he turned and he headed back uh, to the debate. And as he did so, he received a kick in the seat of his pants that nearly sent his spine up through his hat. And he turned around and the old gentleman said, Don't forget. See, sometimes we need a kick in the pants to tell us Don't forget. Don't forget. See, in our text today, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us that needed kick. I want to read in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read uh, verse 11 through 16. And if you have your scripture, if you would open it to that, and and, uh, we'll read together. God's Word says this in, in uh, verse 11 and following, Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at the, that time separate from Christ. 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having by it having put to death the enmity. Loving Father, we thank You for Your Word and we are so blessed because of Jesus Christ. We thank You for the, the peace that He brought to between us as He died and bled out on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to You. Father, I pray that we would remember that. In all of our remembering, we would remember that we were apart from You. And Father, You brought us near through the blood of Christ. Father, I ask that Your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Examine our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, When we look at this scripture, we recognize that we are commanded to remember our desperate situation before God saved us. Sometimes we need to do that. We need to remember who we were before we got saved. Remember the things that we did. Remember all of the chaos that was in our lives before we came to Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul doesn't say, well, if it grabs you, you may want to remember. Rather, he commands us to remember and goes on to specify what it is that we're to remember, namely our lost, hopeless condition before Jesus Christ saved us by his grace. C.W.O. Carver, he called Ephesians, he said it was the, the greatest piece of writing in all of history. And it is indeed a magnificent testimony to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the church. I want to point out several stylistic gems here in these verses. Notice the way that Paul spoke of Christ as being our peace. He himself is our peace. Now remember that Paul spoke as a Jew to saved Gentiles, to those who had come to know Christ. And the word Gentiles is the word uh, in, in, in Greek, ethnos, which is the word that we get our word ethnic from, which really has the, carries the idea of different languages, different cultures, and different people groups. Of course, we remember where all that came from. The Gentile nations with all their languages came out of Genesis chapter 11. If you know your Bible, 
You go back and after the flood, the world had been repopulated and humanity had become very prideful. And, and, and due to our own depravity, our own corruption, our own perversion, sin had entered through one man, Adam. <laughs> but God, even before the foundation of the world, He had a plan. He already foreordained our salvation. He already planned. He knew what was going to take place. The Lamb was ready even before the world was created. The sin of humanity did not catch God off guard. He knew. However, in Genesis 11, God scattered the people. and He scattered them and He confused their languages. And the whole world was made up of these pagan Gentiles. People of, of, different, of, of, of different areas, of, of, of different languages. And there was no such thing as a Jew. There was no such thing as Israel. But in Genesis chapter 12, God reached down and He chose a man from one of these Gentile nations. The land of Ur. And he reached down and he pulled a man out by the name of Abram. And he, named, he changed his name to Abraham. And Paul points out in this passage the great gulf, the great chasm, the great difference between the Gentiles and the Jews. In verse 12 he says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Oh, there's, there's some phrases here that, re, that help us to realize the seriousness of the situation. The Gentile world was made up of this nation and that nation, and they had nothing in common with one another. You have Babylon and Greece and all the different powers that rose representing the Gentiles, and they didn't have anything in common with each other except their sin. Nothing bonded them together like the commonwealth of Israel. They were excluded from any Christ, any Messiah, any deliverer. They had no hope. They lived for nothing. There was nothing out there. There was no hope whatsoever for the Gentile world. They were living separated from Christ. However, Israel had the Messiah, a deliverer. One who would one day come and something to look forward to. And that bonded them into a commonwealth. A community of people who together have a common purpose. See, the second phrase I want to show you here that he makes is, and they were strangers to the covenants of promise. <laughs> See, those covenants that we read about in the Old Testament, they are anchors that points us to the faithfulness of God. That God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Noah. God was faithful to David. God was faithful to all of these people. And because of his promises, and he's a God that keeps his promises, we recognize that, that he is that God. He is the one who keeps his promises. The Gentiles had no anchor. They were like sailors on a captainless boat in uncharted waters. Just going here and there, wherever they wanted to go. The third phrase that he uses here, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Folks, that's probably the saddest phrase, the saddest words that are found in the Bible. They are without hope. They having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, the world is a wicked, cruel, and violent place. The world is filled with robbery and, and, and injustice and slander and hatred and warfare and disease. And it's filled with death. To have no hope and without God in that world? Yeah, that's sad. You know, even if you live a relatively comfortable life, and most of us in this nation live a relatively comfortable life, the best you can hope for is what I read expressed in a bumper sticker recently. It said, eat healthy, exercise, and die anyway. But to face all of life's trials without God and without hope of eternal life, that's a horrible thing. See, the Gentiles had no one God. They were polytheists. They, they worshipped all these different gods. But the Jews worshipped one God. They believed in the true God. They believed in Jehovah God who would send His Son a deliverer. The Gentiles, they were idolatrous and pagan people. And that's the reason why God excluded the Jews from having any kind of dealings with the Gentiles. And as a result, the Gentile world opposed the true God. Oh, you guys are better than us. You, you worship one God. So we don't want anything to do with you. And they accepted the false gods and they were dominated by Satan as we read about in the, the first part of this chapter. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." See, Paul is reminding them, he's saying, remember where you came from. Remember the, 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 the slimy pit. Remember where you have come from in this world. And in verse 13, Paul has some good news for the Gentiles in, in Ephesus, which he wanted them to understand. He says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. See, it's in Him the Gentiles have been brought near. Folks, that is the most beautiful truth. Because you and I are Gentiles. Unless we are a part of Judaism and unless we are a Jew, then we are Gentiles. It is almost as if the Apostle Paul, a converted Jew himself, is looking at the church and he sees converted Gentiles and he realizes that in Christ there is no north, there is no south, there is no east, there is no west, there's no racial barriers, there's no cultural barriers, there's no social barriers. 
He's saying we're all one in Christ. He sees the church in oneness as the church should be seen. He sees the church through our Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in this letter, Paul praises the oneness of the gospel. See, we need to understand that peace, peace is the crown jewel of the redeemed community. Peace. (laughs) One of the most basic definitions of the word for peace is when two things stick together, they bind together, and that oneness and the word peace are very synonymous. They go together, peace and oneness. It's like when Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that, that, that we would be one with him and the Father. That we would stick together, that we would be bound together. And, it, and really it's a picture that, that there's nothing in between that can conflict or irritate. First in our relationship with Almighty God, but also in our relationship with each other. That our love for each other is greater than anything that we face. That our love for God is greater than anything that we face. That nothing comes between that. That nothing comes between this. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about peace. When he says, and he himself is our peace. We're together with him. Peace is that oneness that we have with God. And that we can have with one another. And if you're looking for peace... You're not going to find it in America. You don't have to look far to recognize they don't know what peace is. (laughs) If you're looking for peace and absence of conflict, you're not going to find it in this world. You can only find real peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. For He Himself is Our peace. That's the one that we honor every day. The one who made peace with God for us. Let's talk about that for just a moment. See, Christ himself is the essence of our peace with God. Before we start talking about the peace between the Jew and the Gentile... We really need to talk about the peace that is between us and God. You cannot begin to have relationships that are peaceful until your relationship with God is one of peace. We wonder why people get divorced. We wonder why there's no peace in the home. We wonder why there's no peace in our relationships. And the reason is is because there's no peace between us and God. If we have peace between us and God, there will be peace in our relationships and in our our, our workplace and in our home. But you see, because we have no peace with God, we have no peace in our lives and in our relationships. I really quickly want to give you three affirmations about Christ. Christ broke down the divisions between humanity. There's no wall he won't kick down. (laughs) Christ broke down the divisions between humanity. In 1961, you may remember this, the East Germans built a wall around West Berlin. 
And this wall cut off West Berlin from the rest of Germany. Family and friends were separated by, for a generation by this wall. And the East Germans used to guard that wall and they patrolled that wall and they shot people and killed people and families that tried to get over that wall in order to be with other loved ones. To go to freedom in the West. And if you're old enough, you may remember one of the most stirring speeches of Ronald Reagan's presidency. It was given on June 12, 1987, and the whole speech is very interesting, but the words that are most remembered today are when he said this. He said, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. He said that in 1987. Two years later, on November 9th, 1989, the East German government announced that East Berliners could pass through the wall to visit their family members in the West. A celebratory atmosphere took place. And what happened was people started climbing on the wall. And they were celebrating so much, they, they began to you know, take some souvenirs and began to chip away at the wall. Pretty soon, the governments of both East and West Germany dismantled the wall completely. And this led to the reunification of Germany in 1990. See, if you were watching television when that wall came down, you have a small glimpse of what Paul is trying to teach us here. When the wall fell, the people from the east and from the west, they crossed into no man's land where the wall had stood and these former enemies embraced one another. They embraced one another in a spirit of unity. When Jesus broke down the walls between the Jew and the Gentile, he made it possible for the longtime enemies to be brought together as friends. He made it possible for the lost and wretched sinners to be embraced by Almighty God. He made reconciliation possible in every area of our lives. He broke down the divisions between humanity. Christ also created a new humanity in Himself. See, He enables our peace by the fact that He remade us into a body of peace. Not just a peaceful body, but into a body of peace. Because of what Christ did, He's now come into our lives and made us one with the Father. If I possess Christ in my life, I'm at peace with the Father. If I possess Christ in my life, I'm at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, He has made us Jew, Gentile, whoever comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He's made us into a brand new body. One body. A body of peace. But listen, the removal of barriers does not guarantee peace. So Christ took another step. He did something in us that caused us to be His body of peace. In other words, all of us are one with God because of Jesus Christ. Amen. All of us are enabled to be one with one another. 
Jesus didn't just remove the barriers, he remade believers. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's an individual thing first. Yes, we come to Christ and we become a new creation. <laughs> but look at what he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed and behold, new things have come. Everything that used to be is gone. Hallelujah. We're not who we used to be. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now go back to our text, verse 15. Paul says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. You know, Chrysostom, that early church preacher from, from, from the early church, he said it is if God took a statue of silver and a statue of lead and he put them both into the furnace and out came a statue of gold. Something totally different than what we were before. Made us one, but also made us better. See, in Christ, our differences disappear. We are made right with God. Apart from the deeds of the law, we are made right with one another. <laughs> in Jesus, everything that stands between people is destroyed. In Jesus, everything that stands between us and God is destroyed. Folks, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because we're not going to get what we deserve. We're... <laughs> We've, we, instead, Jesus took that punishment. And you see, he also, Christ reconciles the new humanity, the, the new creation to God. He reconciles this new humanity to God. See, at, at some time or another, all of us in our life have been in that awkward stage. You know, we've all been made to feel like we didn't fit in. Like we didn't belong somewhere. I want to say, excluded from the cool kids. You know, kind of like when we were in junior high. Sorry, guys. Apologies. But you understand what I'm saying. But listen, to be a Christian, to be a Christian without a church family is to be an orphan. Nothing wrong with being an orphan, but an orphan naturally longs to be in a family. See, to say I have a relationship with God, but I have no family is to say I'm missing out on something. People join together, do something they cannot do separately. Together, God's people come together and in His presence, something powerful and unique and wonderful happens. If it didn't, we wouldn't come together like this every week. But something unique happens, something wonderful happens when we're together because Christ reconciles this new humanity back to God. And I want to say this, I want to say we're all kind of like Legos. 
You know those little toys that you step on in the dark? Most of the time when they're by themselves. Legos are made to go together. There's something about a Lego that wants to be connected to another Lego. You can tell by the way it's made. It fits with something else. It's designed to be connected to another piece and that piece to another piece. You and I are designed as the body of Christ and we're made just like that to be connected to another piece. We're not intended to be by ourselves. Oh, it's not a bad thing to spend some time alone. But it's something significant to be a part of the community of faith called believers who are the body of Christ. He made us as social beings. See, Jesus Christ is our access to the Father. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, He controls access to God. And we could never get to God on our own. Jesus Christ has the ability to take us where we could not go on our own. Our sins stood as this huge wall before us. And he tore down that wall that divides us. When Jesus died on the cross, he tore down that wall. I love that. Because he reached out and he claimed us. And he made us his own. And then he brought us to God. Folks, that is a beautiful thing. I would say now he welcomes us at any time. Like the writer of Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm thankful for what Jesus did in bringing us to God. I praise him that he made us one in him and one with one another. And folks, that's the message that the whole world needs to hear. That's what we need to proclaim is that, that we are one with each other. We're not all that different. Oh, we like to think we're different. Some of us may be a little weird. But we're all one body. We're all in Him. If we know Christ, we are all part of that body of peace. Another reason that we so desperately need this teaching, and I'm almost through is because of artificial barriers, I want to say man-made barriers, that often divide the church. Folks, we shouldn't allow issues to divide us. The gospel is for everyone. Our goal is unity, not uniformity. Unity. You can praise God that everybody doesn't look like Ridge. Sure, now you wait to say amen. But Jesus died to, to erase our distinctions. He died to make us one with Him. And until we come to the place where we're willing to walk as one in Jesus, the church will never experience His presence or His power the way we need to until those things happen. 
Until we walk in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Until we come to that place of unity, we will always be less than what Jesus designed and died for. See, I would say this to you, Memorial. You have much to say. Some of you may be thinking, well, I may not be able to go on mission trips. I may not be able to give a lot to the church. I may not be able to, to, to invest in his kingdom work as, as, like I would like to. But I want to say this. What a profound witness each and every one of you has. You have an amazing witness as a believer. And think about it in these terms. If you will make it your business to invite other brothers and sisters in Christ to feel like they are sitting in your home with your people and your family in this place. Sometimes we won't get up to walk across the aisle to welcome somebody. Much less go across the street or around the corner. Folks, we need to chase after. We need to go after those people that may not have a church home. Because we are one in Christ. See, if that isn't in your heart, if you really don't care about other people who profess Christ, who aren't like you, then maybe you really haven't understood the gospel in the first place. I wonder if our moms and dads are fostering the kind of gospel community in the lives of their children. I wonder if we would, how that would transform us if that was our goal. As men and women of God, if we would seek to invite others to be at home with us as they are at home anywhere else. You know, it's been one of the very beautiful things to see over the course of the last 10 years. The Memorial family quietly, gradually beginning to change. We've become a multi-ethnic congregation. And from my perspective, it's a glorious thing to see. Christians from all over the world loving one another. Folks, you're seeing a living demonstration of the gospel. And that's why we're here. The gospel is for all people. No matter where you're from, no matter what your background, the thing that identifies us is the thing that brought us together. The one who brought us together. Who, his name is Jesus. He gave us peace with God. And we are united with all of those who are united with him. See, if you know the peace that you have between you and God this morning, you should come before Him and praise His name because of what He has done in your life. But if you know that there is still a wall of partition between you and God, then you should bow to Him and receive Christ so that you too can be saved. 
If you know that there is a division between you and a brother or sister in Christ, you need to deal with that horizontally, but you also need to deal with that vertically. So that God and His power can live in and through your life and the life of this church body. Folks, I'm calling you out. We got to know what we know. And Jesus Christ is our peace. There is no peace apart from Him. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we recognize that we live in a tumultuous and troubled world. Father, we know that our nation is divided over many different issues. But Father, I pray that your people who are called by your name would humble themselves. Forgive us, Father, for not being humble. Forgive us for living among a people who are prideful, people who are not willing to humble themselves before you, Almighty God. Father, I ask that you would forgive our nation. Father, that Jesus Christ died for more than what we are today. And Father, I, I thank you for those souls that were willing to give their lives so that our nation could be free. But they died to be for us to be more than what we are today. So Father, I pray that you would bring about your peace. Father, that truly we would die to self. God, that we would not make it about us. But God, that we would make it about your son, Jesus. Lifting him up, living for him, showing daily what he means to us. And God, that you would pour your spirit out upon your people. Father, as we clean the inside of the cup, I pray that you would fill the cup with your Holy Spirit and his power. God, that we would be done dabbling with the things of this world. But God, that we would focus on Jesus. Father, that we would surrender everything that we have to you. Our money, our time, our talent. Father, that we would say your will, not mine, be done. Father, I pray that you would bring us to a place of humility before you. So that times of healing and times of refreshing could come to your church, your bride, and to this nation. Father, I pray that you would preserve our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.